Are you ready for a convicting message? I have a convicting message. Especially if you are wired like I am wired, this is going to be particularly convicting, but I hope helpful. Now by that, I want to I wanna say if you are somebody who it just doesn't seem like there's enough hours in the day. Like at the end of the day, you think, I wish there was, an, I, need, I need like 10 more hours to get all my things done today. Or you think, there's not enough days in the week for me to get the things done that I think that I need to get done. Or maybe you feel like Monday is like every other day. When I say that, I mean it's like every second day it's Monday again. Or if you're in ministry for us, it's like it's the weekend every other day. It feels like, oh, it's Saturday and Sunday again already. It seems like we just got done with the previous one, and now here it is again. i got to have a message again. You ever have that feeling where you're just constantly, like the days just are flying by, and you have these things you want to do and accomplish, goals that you have, and you just can't get it done, and, and you feel like you are constantly stressed out, Right? And you feel like you're, you're just holding on, barely holding on, keeping all the plates spinning that are important to you. Maybe you can relate. Are you a driven individual? A goal-oriented individual? Somebody, maybe you grew up in a home where performance was very important and very valued. And it just was ingrained in you that your value is largely derived from what you do. And so you do, and you do, and you do, and you go, and you go, and you go. And the kind of life experience of being a driven individual is doing a lot, but inwardly really being anxious and stressed out and and, uh, not healthy. Maybe you can relate to that. The fourth commandment has something to say to everybody in that category. Now, maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. And in an honest assessment, you're not, uh, you're not stressed out. Your life is largely a life-loving leisure, right? An, an, an assessment of your uh, time would indicate that the best friend you have in all the world is your couch. You regularly meet with him, and uh, you meld in with him almost on a molecular level. Or maybe your second best friend is, is the television. You, you're not go, 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 you're rest, rest, rest. Somebody needs to light a fire under you. Nights are often frittered away on less than noble pursuits. Facebook gobbles up your time. A mindless hobby of some sort. You play at your work and you work at your play. Maybe you're like, uh, I, was, I was on a beach in Florida once, and I was walking this beach, and there were all of these predominantly retirees out on this beach. And they all had these little special devices, and they were combing through the sand on the beach, and they were, had these little sifting devices. They're sifting, and they're sifting, and they're all over. I mean, tons of them all over on the beach. And I'm walking, and I finally thought, what are they doing here? And so I went to one of them, and I said, what are you looking for? And he goes shark teeth. And I said, well, what do you do with them once you find them? He says, nothing. <laughs> and you look down the beach and there's all these people scrambling and sifting and you think, really, this is how you're spending your entire life? 
looking for shark teeth that once you find have absolutely no value to you, wasting their time, wasting their life, not spending time doing the things of lasting value. This message has something for you as well from the fourth commandment. All of this from, <clears throat> from the fourth commandment. And last week I told you just explaining this one is going to take uh, this entire message. <clears throat> this is last week. And uh, I said, come back for the application. So if you are looking for exposition, we did it last week. Today is going to be application. How do we live out the fourth commandment as new covenant Christians? And what does that mean for us? Now, I want to read the command again. Okay, so as we work through Exodus 20, the Ten Commands, here we are, verse 8, on the fourth one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now very quickly to review what we saw last week. We saw that the Sabbath was established by God as a sign of the covenant that he was making with the nation Israel. And we saw that when God makes covenants, they often are accompanied by a sign. He makes a covenant with Noah, and the sign is the rainbow in the sky. He makes a covenant with Abraham, and the sign is uh, circumcision. And we get to Mount Sinai, and God establishes a Sabbath, a seventh-day Sabbath, that would be, for, for those that saw themselves under the covenant, an expression of that would be their rest on the seventh day. Now, this creates complexity for us as New Covenant Christians because we are not the nation of Israel. And what we saw last week is that, well, is that, that sign has fallen away. We are not obligated to a Sabbath, every seventh day Sabbath. The early church moved into a Lord's Day uh, practice of worship. It's not mandated, but it was the practice of the early church. And so we kind of dealt with that last week. And what we saw then is that while we are not under the covenant of, of Moses, God establishes this as a part of his model and example of creating the world. He says, six days I worked, one day I rested. A creation rhythm. And he says, since I did that, you should do that as well. Not as a sign of the covenant, but as part of what it means to be human. Much like sleep. Every day, we see part of being human is to sleep. And don't we love that daily sleep? Some of you are enjoying it right now. <laughs> but that's a part, to be human is to have a daily rest. And God says here, to be human is to be made in the image of a God who is a working and a resting God. And to create a kind of creation rhythm in our own lives where we see work and we see rest as very much a part of the daily cycles of life. That is what we saw. Now, we're going to spend today in application, and so let's talk about the fourth command and new covenant Christians, and how do we then live out this creation 
rhythm and what he's talking about in the fourth command. And we're going to start somewhere that you don't expect me to start. Okay, because all of you right now are going, yes, let's talk about rest. I'm all about it. Can't wait to hear about it. Oftentimes we miss part of what God is saying here is that work is sacred and holy. Right? We skip right ahead to the Sabbath keeping and we miss the command that is in here. Six days shall you labor. Now in that we see God establishing work as a part of what it means to be human. We are made in the image of a working God and we, he makes us and designs us to, to do, to produce, to meet our needs. And we see this from the beginning. Let me show you where. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God has just created Adam and Eve, made them in his image, male and female. He created them. And now God gives him what is known as the creation mandate. He says, it says this, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Okay. A lot of people all about that part of it. And fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Creation mandate, exercise dominion on the earth. What's the first thing that Adam did? What was his first job? This is a pretty impressive resume. You know, Adam, work experience, named every animal on the planet. He had a job on the very first day, something to do. Now, many people, I think, mistakenly look at work as part of the curse, right? Notice that Genesis 1.28 is before the curse. The curse is not that we work. The curse is that our work will have difficulty with it. The earth is not going to just naturally produce everything that we need in order to meet our needs. We are going to have to labor in order to meet our needs. But working itself is good. It is sacred. It is holy. This is something I think we need to uh, keep in mind in a culture that treasures leisure. And the dream of so many people is to retire early. I I can't wait until I have have nothing to do. That's going to be fantastic. Really? Nothing to do? As many people who retire will attribute, they'll say, I'm bored. Give me something to do. We're not made to do nothing. We are made to do something. And the doing of the somethings is reflecting the God in whose image we have been made, who himself did amazing somethings, creating this whole world and us in six days. Now, the Bible then goes beyond that, not only to say that work is holy and sacred, but to say that a work ethic is holy and sacred. Listen to what 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. This is Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now we sometimes think, wouldn't it be great to have the Apostle Paul as our pastor? Out with DeWitt, in with Paul, that would be a wonderful upgrade. And indeed it would. Because he would just get up and, you know, he wrote the chapter on the love, 1 Corinthians 13. be love all the time, right? Apparently Paul got up and said, if you don't work, you don't eat. Period. Now, that seems kind of harsh, right? And why would the church care about people and their employment and the work ethic that they're showing in their life? 
Well, the reason that it is important is that work is sacred and God designed us to produce. It's not a bad thing. It's a very, very good thing. In fact, God established human society so that a work and compensation for that work is how our needs are met. Imagine if we didn't have any work, we just all laid around expecting somebody to give us something. Which sounds a lot like some certain social programs in our country right now, right? What a disaster that would be. And how it would eliminate human dignity. The dignity to work, the dignity to do something with my hands, and to have the earnings that come from my own labors. This is part of God's good plan. You know, if you read through the Proverbs and the wisdom uh, literature, we find that a lot of it, it says a lot about this very thing. It talks about the sluggard in Proverbs. And the sluggard is described as the man, he, he's like a door on its, on its hinges. In his bed, he is like a door on its hinges. In other words, he just turns back and forth, back and forth, can't quite get himself out of bed. To go and to do anything productive with his day or his life. He loves his bed. Describes him as somebody who in the springtime thinks, oh, I just can't do it. And then at harvest time, he's like, where's all my crops? Right? He can't understand that it is the sowing that leads to the reaping. And this is contrasted in Proverbs with the diligent man. And the diligent man is the opposite of the sluggard. The diligent man prizes his possessions. You know, you go by the house of the sluggard, it says in Proverbs, and his gate is torn down and there's weeds everywhere and the place looks like a dump. But the diligent man is somebody who prizes his possession. He stewards his life. He stewards his things. He takes care of it. He's responsible. He has, he has initiative about things. He has a work ethic. And this, of course, is the way that we are to be. It is holy and it is sacred. And then there's verses in the New Testament, and this could be an entire message, and maybe someday it will be, but I just want to highlight this. Six days shall you work. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. The ethic that we have and the motive that I have in my place of employment is not simply to get the attaboy from the boss. I see what I am doing there as an act of worship to God. The, the quality of my labor and the kind of effort that I put in at work is a part of my worship of God himself. And that is why Christians ought to be the very best employees no matter where they're working. The industry that they have and the responsibility that they show and the sense of, uh, of, of, of doing things the right way. Bethelonians ought to be the best employees in Northwest Indiana. We ought to have company. You know, we had the BCRN video that just played here a second ago. We ought to have companies beating down our doors. You got any more of your members that are uh, looking for a job? Because we love you guys. That is a testimony. You think, oh, it doesn't matter. I go to church and worship God and I have my devotions and I tell people I'm a Christian. The way that we work says something to God and it says something to other people. And it is a part of our testimony that we believe in a working God and we are going to work heartily as unto the Lord. And that's something that we all ought to have in our mind tomorrow morning when we're going to work. 
right? Not like the old Dunkin' Donuts commercial where the guys that like, got to make the donuts. You remember that old commercial, right? Just, it's another day. It's the grind. There's no meaning or purpose in this. No, this is, this is part and parcel of my whole faith expression to God. And yes, we have days we're tired, and yes, we have days we perform better than others, but the overall trajectory of our expression of work ought to be an act of worship. And we see that in the fourth commandment, six days shall you work. It is good, it is holy, because God is a working God. Do you get that? I really like that point. I think it's a challenge for all of us. But for most of us, the issue is not uh, having nothing to do, okay? Most of us are overwhelmed with all the things we feel that we need to be doing all the time. It is the kind of obsessive compulsion that we have to try to slip in a little bit more here and to work this angle, and I'm going to fill in my life and my calendar and my time with more and more and more and more activities and things. And all of this, oftentimes, I should say, these things are not important things. They are not eternal things. They are often trivial things. And often we are busy with the wrong things. And we find ourselves in a place where we are busy with nothings, which doesn't give us time to be participating in the somethings that are really important. The busy things and the silly things crowd out the time that we could mentally and spiritually put towards the things that actually matter in the eyes of God and that we really derive meaning and purpose from. So often we find ourselves then on a Sunday even. And again, I had that spectrum up there last week, and you can find where you are in that. I hope that we don't have anybody here going, nah, in the no Sabbatarian side. Okay? Again, creation mandates, six days working, one day of, of rest. But what happens often is that even that day of rest gets crowded out. You can look at Nehemiah. At the end of Nehemiah, that's what the Israelites would do. They always wanted to cheat it a little bit, Right? Yeah, it's a Sabbath, but I'm going to work in just a little bit of business, right? I'm going to, I'm going to find a little way to kind of do what I do the other days because I need to get these things done. And so what happens in, then is, is that the margin for God and the margin for relationships and the margin for the things that really uh, bring significance to life gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And eventually, all the days are the same. But I go to church. I mean, I spend two hours at church, and your sermons, they're, they're 45 minutes long, but they should count as three hours. So really, I'm kind of like virtually giving well, lots of time to God. Six days shall you work, one day you shall rest. Not two hours, not three hours, but a day. A day set aside. My fear is that in our culture, there are so many distractions. You know, if we lived, if I was, if this was our church 400 years ago, I'd say, you know what? We probably, uh, we probably should cut down on, you know, horseback riding or something, you know, how many things did they have to do on a, on a Sabbath, right? But we get out of here, we get in our cars, digitally connected radio. We get home, there's television, there's internet, right? We've got all kinds of things we can go and do and, and see and all the rest. 
100, 100 years ago, 200 years. They didn't have all of that. But that's the world we live in. A constant cacophony of sound and distraction that even on the day of rest can make that day feel like all the rest of the days. And we're just, we're overwhelmed with information and all these things our kids are doing and that's going on. And do you see what I'm getting at? And we wonder why we so often feel thin inside and shallow inside. Because our mind is filled with games and social media, television, all the things our culture presses upon us. And we end up thinking deeply about shallow things and we think shallowly about deep things. And is it no wonder the evangelical church is, struggles so much with a kind of superficial faith? We are addicted to busyness, I think. Busy, 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 all the time busy. Why? Why do we choose? This is a choice each of us make. Why do we choose to live this way? Listen to what one guy says. The busier we are, the more important we seem to ourselves. And we imagine to others to be unavailable to our friends and family, to be unable to find time for the sunset or even know the sun has set. To whiz through our obligations without time for a single mindful breath. This has become the model of a successful life. That's a pretty... I, I said it was going to be convicting. Did you hear that right there? That ought to land right on your, in your conviction zone. I mean, think about just casually what we see in relationships today. And maybe you even had this experience in the comments. Where somebody comes up to you and say, hey. They go, hey. And what's the appropriate next thing to say? How's it going? And often, what do you hear? Other than great, good, and awesome. Next on the list would be, oh man, we're just so busy, right? We're like crazy busy. I mean, seriously, we're like amazing crazy busy. And doesn't even that sort of insinuate in that conversation, I got no time for you, right? It's just putting off a vibe like, why am I even acknowledging you? I have no time for you at all. I'm crazy busy. So again, I want to ask, do we, why is that admired? Why do we look at that and say, that's the way that I want to be. Or at least, by default, our lives become this way. Why do we do it? I think there's two primary reasons in our culture, and they both start with M. M and M. More and me. I'm not spending much time on more other than to say one reason we are so busy is that we keep wanting to have a little bit more. We want a little more stuff. We want a little bit more... Um, accomplishment. We want a, a little bit more on the corporate ladder. We want a little bit more leisure, pleasure, fun, recreation, whatever it is. And we, we just, we kind of shoehorn in a little bit more all the time and it crowds out margin for God and, and others, right? But I think the big one is the second M, me. At the root of my need to be busy is plain old pride. Yeah. 24-7 activity. 
creates then a kind of image for us. It puffs me up. It makes me think, I'm so busy. I'm doing this, that, and the other. I must really be important. And if I'm busy with all these things, then whatever I'm doing must also be really, really important. So I am an important person who is doing important things. I'm crazy busy. And behind all of that is a very fragile ego that is wanting to puff up itself in the mirror and in the eyes of others. And we think, this is really living. I got no time for nothing. It's awesome. As long as my Christmas card is impressive with accomplishment... And my calendar looks like the South Shore train schedule. (laughs) I must really be somebody important. My friend Mike Wittig gave me this quote this week. Busyness forms a hedge against emptiness. And it's easy to look out in the culture and say, yeah, that's why they do that. Out there. They're just busy running around like ants. Thinking their lives are significant and important. Filling it with all kinds of things trying to hide their emptiness. But what about within the church? When we get off of that creation rhythm and our life feels chaotic and somehow we want that, what is that indicating about where I am deriving my meaning and significance? Is it from my relationship with Jesus and my identity in Him? Or is it in what I am doing, 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 going, going, going? Do you see the challenge there? What does it say about my heart? Now, it looks great on Facebook, right? There's some people you look, and, and every day they're, you know, I'm up in Chicago, Milwaukee, over here, over there, all that kids smiling, everything's wonderful, every day's beautiful. We hate those people. <laughs> but why do they want to project on Facebook the utopic experience of their busyness? Because if I am doing all of these things, I must really be an important, wonderful person. And God looks at all of this, I think, and says, that is not how I made you. And we get back to the fourth commandment, and God says, six days I created the world, and one day I rested. And if this was important to God, and he made it important to Israel, why do we think somehow that we are exempt from that? Like we're superheroes or something, and we don't need that. Who here wouldn't love to have a day to breathe? In fact, that's the name of this title of this sermon. Breathe. Doesn't that just sound wonderful? (sighs) A day to catch my breath. A day to center myself again on God vertically and horizontally and the key relationships in my life to restore and to renew in that. Doesn't that sound fantastic? I think many of you are going, man, that'd be great. I got no time for that. That's the issue, isn't it? And it would, it would have been Israel's issue if God had not put down some parameters and said, take a day, think about me, think about life, think about the, the things that are meaningful, really, which go far beyond the screw that I'm turning on the assembly line, and the class that I am teaching at the school, and the accounts that I'm balancing uh, in the finance office, and whatever it is that you and I are doing, we are more than what 
job we do. While that is sacred and holy, we're more than that. We're made for more than that. That is not true, real, human flourishing and experience. It's about God and relationships and others. That is human community. And to protect that, we have to protect that. And to have a day given over to that is part of the blessing. You know, I think it's striking, you read through the Gospels, Jesus never seems to be in a hurry. I wonder if anybody ever asked Jesus, said, hey, Jesus, how's it going? He goes, crazy busy. (laughs) Now, you might say, well, I got more to do than Jesus did. That's not fair. Really? Let's review. What did Jesus have to do? Well, he had to establish a, a community of future leaders. He had to, the, the small matter of thousands of people hanging on his every word and teaching. People all the time asking him to heal them, heal their family member, go here, do this, do that. He had people scheming against him in his inner circle, betraying him, which he knew the whole time. And then there was the small matter of saving the world. Whatever you and I are doing, it is not even close to being as important as what Jesus did. And yet, he doesn't ever seem to be hurried. He never seems to be too busy. He seems to have balance. Balance. And that is what I am saying here today is, I'm encouraging all of us to follow, to step into that creation rhythm of great labor to the glory of God for six days, And one day that is set aside and is different. Now, what would a Sabbath day look like? Okay, let's describe this. And I'm encouraged, and some of you are going, I got no time for a Sabbath day. You are who I am talking to today, okay? What does this kind of day look like? So I have some qualities here that we, I'm putting before you. First of all, it is a day of different. It is a day of different Sabbath is not two hours at church and then back to the office. It is not uh, two hours at church and then, and then uh, uh, working around the house all day long, exhausting myself, only to get up the next day and to go back to work. It is not husbands doing a honeydew list all day. And the husbands said, <laughs> under their breath, they said, Amen. A Sabbath is an intentional day that is different than the normal grind and exhaustion of the other six, okay? So what is that day for you? We said last week, Sunday is not mandated for that. Saturday is not mandated for that. But in our culture, most jobs and the the rhythm is where Saturday and Sunday is off. So it seems to be a natural choice, but maybe your vocation doesn't allow for that. But to have a day that is set aside, do you have one? Or is every day for you all the same, except I go to church for a couple hours on Sunday? Now, do you see how having a day that is set aside battles against the idolatry of more and me? Right? When I take a day and I say, I'm not working on this day. Could I make more money if I work seven days a week? Of course I can. But by not working a day, I am saying that God can do more with my six days than I can do with my seven. It's kind of like the tithing principle. When I tithe to God, 
I am saying God can do more with my 90% than I can do with my 100%. I am trusting him for that. It also battles against the idolatry of me. Because when I take a day and I say, you know what, I ain't doing any of the stuff I do the other six days. I am basically saying the world can get along fine without me. The world doesn't need me. I can step aside and everything's going to go along. God doesn't need me seven days a week. This, of course, was always Israel's struggle. They wanted to cheat a little bit. They wanted to work an angle a little bit, get a little bit of work done on the Sabbath. Maybe nobody will notice. I'll cook a little here. I'll do a little little, uh, work around the farm, sell a little this or that. And God saw their hearts, and he knew what they were up to. So think different day. A day to just trust God, okay, for his provision. A break. You know, for many of us, I think this break to be a different day means also getting away from the things that cloud and clutter our minds, which these days oftentimes is the internet and the web and and social media, Facebook, Pinterest, all, all, all these things that we get a few minutes here and we jump on and we just kind of fritter away our time on these kinds of things. How about a day different? Where for this day, I say, I am not going to fill my mind with things that are trivial. You know, one of our pastors this week told me uh, this. And even as I talk about this, you know, some of you are get, like, getting twitchy at the thought of that, right? <laughs> what do you mean? It's because you're addicted to it. And to some extent, I think so am I. One of our pastors this week was telling me that... that uh, I think Thursday, he and his wife, they're sitting on the couch. The kids are in bed, the house is quiet, and there they are, and they're totally consumed in their smartphones. And all of a sudden, they look at each other, and they said, what are we doing? Enough is enough. And with two clicks or whatever they did together, they closed out the Facebook account, they closed out the Twitter account, and they said, we're done with that. We don't want it to dominate our life. Now, that's kind of a permanent Sabbath (laughs) on those things. But to have a break, mentally and spiritually, and to breathe, to breathe. Secondly, a Sabbath day is a day of worship. It is a day of worship. And I agree, every day is a day to the glory of God and, and, and all of that. But a Sabbath day is a day that corporately the church gathers together for worship. We see that in the early church. We see that in the early church documents. And, and you know, in the first century, after Pentecost, they didn't have to, they, you know, you have to come here. They naturally wanted to be together. When the Spirit works in God's people, they want to draw together. They want to hear the Word. They want to pray. They want to have the Lord's Supper. They want to serve one another. They want to serve the community. It's organic and it's natural. A day of worship. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't do anything else on that day. It simply means that nothing else is more important on that day. It is the priority. God is the priority on that day. J.I. Packer, freedom from secular chores secures freedom to serve the Lord on his own day. The Sabbath was made a day of holy rest so that it might be a day of holy work. Physical recreation and family fun will not be excluded, but worship and Christian fellowship will come first. And I think that that is so important. Many people have the opposite of that. They think, well, we got to go over here. We got to get the shopping done. The kids got this game and they got this over here and this, 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 and this. And you know what? If we can work it out, we'll try to make a church that Sunday. That is the exact opposite 
of what God is saying. God is the priority and worship is the priority and those other things can be worked in maybe. Do not be an upside-down Christian on your, with your priorities. Make God first. Of course, we see this in Hebrews 10. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the manner of doing. Acts 2, the early church got after it. And we see that churches, you know, what's a healthy church? A healthy church, it's like a beehive or an anthill. There's just all kinds of kingdom work and activity and life and vibrancy as God's people are worshiping and loving one another and serving and involved in the community. How do we do those things if we have no time for it? Set aside time. This is the Lord's day is what the Bible calls it, right? And make it the Lord's day. Make it the Lord's day. You know, one of the easiest signs for any pastor regarding someone's spiritual health, and this isn't absolute, and I'm not making sort of a fundamentalist rule about this, but the desire to gather for worship is a sign of health. And oftentimes we have, you know, somebody, you always saw them sitting right here, fifth row, they always were there, and all of a sudden you don't see them there anymore. You know, and we're like, hey, well, how, what's going on? And we, we look into it, sure enough, there's been some catastrophe of some kind. They're not a church anymore as an indication of something else going on. Fight against that. Make it a priority. Not once, uh, you know, a month, six days, one day. That's the creation rhythm. Parents, do you realize that one of the very best discipleship tools that you have is your children seeing that your priority is God? And you say, well, how can I do that? I need to pray before I eat. Okay, great. But I will give you a testimony as a guy who grew up in a church that I knew that my parents prioritized God because we faithfully were a part of that church week in and week out. And it's not a guarantee. There's lots of kids that do that and they off they go into, you know, not following the Lord. But I'll tell you, if your kids don't see you prioritizing it, don't be surprised if you don't see them prioritizing it. Bear that in mind. Okay? Day of worship. Third, day of renewal. Doesn't that sound good? Okay? A day of renewal. Sabbath gives us some time to look inwardly. You know, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Guard your heart, Proverbs says. It is our inner life, the ordering of our inner person, that really out of that flows all of the things outside in my life. So when I see chaos in my life and everything's in disarray and nothing is, nothing's orderly, nothing's organized, everything's just going crazy, it is an indication of a disordered inward life. And a Sabbath day is a day, one out of seven, for me to spend some time contemplating and thinking about life and my priorities and the week past and sin and good things or whatever it is and the day forward and how I, or the week forward and how I want to build relationships with people and how I want to obey in a certain category or how I want to avoid something that that was a stumbling block for me. To think about the inner person, the inner man. That is way more important than your car, your yard, your house, your job, or whatever else. It's your heart. Guard your heart. And a Sabbath day is a day of renewing the inner person and being refreshed to breathe, right? 
When I'm running here, there, and yonder all the time, I have no time to think about the things that are inward and spiritual and out of which flow the essence of my life. But to have a day to do it, what a blessing that is, right? Breathe. Breathe. You know, when we run around, busy all the time, cramming this and that all in all the time, we feel empty, don't we? We say that. I'm running on fumes. What does that mean? My tank is empty. How do I restore the tank? This is how part of how we restore the tank. You got to get away from the craziness and to do something different. In fact, right now, I can tell you, you're the person I'm talking to, if on your sermon notes you've written anything that you need to get done today or this week. <laughs> oh, conviction, right? <laughs> or if as we're talking here, you're thinking about all the things you want to do once this is done. Where is your mind and your heart? What is really the priority in your life if your thoughts take you to these other things? We need to breathe. A day to be human. A day to be horizontal with other people. A Sabbath each week. Try it. Okay, just try it. Take a Sabbath challenge here. Say, you know what, for two weeks I'm going to do that. I'm going to have one day, and maybe it's Sunday for you, where on that day, I'm not doing anything that I do the other six. And I'm going to do all the things that in my life are renewing and are refreshing. Okay? So think about what would that be? Resist the temptation to waste this day. To watch the stupid movie because you got nothing else to do. To fritter away that day in some kind of, a, a, you know, a surfing the web. or to, Read a book. Read the Psalms. Go for a walk. Hold your wife's hand. Eat good food. Now you're like, this sermon's getting better all the time. (laughs) How about writing an encouraging note to somebody? I don't know anybody that needs encouraging. My address is 10677 (laughs) Erie Drive. Think about your life. How about serve someone else? Maybe think about your houses around you and what's something I could sort of a little act of kindness that I could do to a neighbor? Catch them off guard. Let them know I'm thinking about them. Married couples. Sabbaths are great days to reconnect with one another in all the categories that are a blessing, which as a married man, I now can amen. Sabbaths are great days for families. May all the kids of our church reflect back on these kind of Sabbath days and say, those were awesome days. I love Sundays, if Sunday is your day. A day of playing games, a day of going to church, a day of talking about what you learned in Sunday school, a day of uh, enjoying the outdoors together, a day of refreshment and renewal. Doesn't that sound great? showing love and care to one another. But to do this, we have to have time to do this. And that means us getting a hold of our calendars and saying, before the calendar gets a hold of us, we get a hold of the calendar and saying, this is blocked off. Okay, this is blocked off. Finally, a Sabbath day is a day of rejoicing. Okay, a day of rejoicing. Why did God rest on the seventh day? 
And every kid would go, he was tired. God is not tired. He has unbounding and unending energy. He did not rest because he could not go on anymore. He did not need a vacation. Why did he rest? And Piper makes the point that God, God's resting was a, an exalting resting. That he stepped back from this creation and he exalted in the glory and the beauty of all that he had made. And what amazing universe he made, don't you think? And he just stepped back and he enjoyed it and he, he treasured it and he saw how it reflected his own beauty and glory. And it was for him a day of celebration and a day of gladness. And, and in other words, Sabbath days for us ought to be happy days. Happy days. Glad days. Not silly like we're sort of phony about it, but where we're deeply grateful for what God has done for us. And we think about what God has done spiritually and materially and, and all family and relationally and all the rest. And we, we give thanks to God and we robustly enjoy these blessings that he has given to us. And sometimes just have plain old fun. You know, even John Calvin. John Calvin who many very strict Sabbatarians hold in high regard, his practice was, in, the, in Geneva, was to preach in the morning, and he would oftentimes in the afternoon uh, play uh, games with the, the kids in, at the town square. Games like bowling, and, and etc. John Calvin. So, what does that mean? Does that mean that it's okay to have some things that are just sort of fun for you, that you have a day often that you go and do? You love to walk in the park. You love to do this or that. Do it. I encourage you to do it. Live, Bethel. Live in this one life that we have and enjoy it. It's a blessing from God. Now, I can hear somebody's thoughts right now, and here's what you're thinking. Hmm. All right, Pastor Steve, I have a question for you. I know that you like to golf. Would you play golf on Sunday? We know John Calvin did it, but he's Calvin. He can get away with it. You're not Calvin. We wish you were, but you're not. Would you play golf on Sunday? And I will give you an honest answer on this. And again, remember what I said last week. Everyone has to come to their own personal convictions. And at this church, we are not judging each other for what those convictions are. As long as they are within the parameters of what Sabbath ought to be. Um, But I'll tell you my answer. If I have gathered for worship with God's people, if I have spent time in the Word and in prayer, if I have gone on a walk or spent time with my wife holding her hand, if I've spent some significant time tickling my daughter. And if there's time to play a round of golf, I would do it to the glory of God. There's my answer. However, if I'm golfing instead of gathering with God's people, and if all week I look to Sunday and I think it's golf day instead of it's the Lord's day, And if the money that I am putting uh, towards the green fees are now money that I don't have to give to the Lord, then I ought to hang up my golf clubs and not play again until I get my priorities right. 
And there is the balancing statement. And the legalist here wants a rule. Give us a rule. We want the rule. I'm not giving you a rule. I'm giving you a rhythm. It's a rhythm. Six days shall you work to the glory of God, and one day you shall Sabbath also to the glory of God. Set upon the priority of God, intended by him to keep us from laziness and busyness, and to renew us with worship and service and holy refreshment. Sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Right? So breathe. Breathe, breathe, breathe. And the other six days will be better as well. So may God establish that in our church for his glory. Amen. Let's stand together for prayer.